Welcome to First Generation Burden, a podcast dedicated to immigrants in the creative community. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. Today we have a great episode. We're talking to Walter Gear. He's the Chief Experience Design Officer at VML YNR and was recently named the Change Creator of the Year in Adweek. Uh, we discuss what it means to be an advocate and a leader for black and brown communities and how the industry has responded very positively for the most part, but also there's uh, some downsides too. We talk about it. Uh, and also we chat about his early days growing up on the East Coast and working through a lot of huge brands like JP Morgan, Google, Viacom, CBS, which is now Paramount and Verve up until his current role sitting in the C-suite. Uh, and also we talk about how he helped patent digital innovations in advertising that we actually still use today. You know how you can skip through pre-roll ads? He helped pioneer that, it's pretty wild. And we chat about what it means to have tough conversations like the one he recently had with Gary Vee with a pretty awesome outcome. So this is a really fun one. Can't wait for you all to listen. But without further ado, here's our conversation with Walter Gear. Yo, Walt, it's good to see you, man. Yo, likewise, man. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't, I couldn't get with the creative slash bodybuilding slash <laughs> guru in person, but you know, this is good enough. Get out of here. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, uh, for the listener, we were we we know each other. Oh, we met on Clubhouse, I think. But but your name, I've seen your name like for for years and years. But yeah, we, we met in Clubhouse during the pandemic, and then I just loved being in rooms with you and just like you know chatting it up there. And we DM each other about sneakers a lot. We want to do this in person, but we're doing it virtually. But you got a good, we got good microphones. It's like it's as if we're in the same room together. We're making it work, man. We're making it work. Absolutely, yo. And first of all, Walt Gear, you you thank you so much for showing up today. This is oh, so man, much fun. Me, I'm course. just I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to sneak uh, peep, peep, uh, peep the uh, sneaker game behind you. <laughs> I got I got some of those. I don't got all of those. These are actually my fiance sneakers okay. behind me. I can't even claim okay. these. I have a very hoardery wall uh, right. in the in the living room that I need to take care of. I need to make a pit stop at the storage content the storage unit. I, probably. Say, I have a hard I have a hard time with the 11s, man. Oh, like, I really? That I just I just I can't. They they're super crisp. I just can't wear them because they just. I just can't find the right shit to wear. You know what? You gotta have the right pants for those. Oh, you gotta, wear like, you gotta wear like cargos, but like baggy cargos. Yo, wow, you're just touching on all. You have to do like the the short shorts, the shorts above the knees situation. If you're not that person, then you do have to do like a cargos thing. Like I think there was, I think a lot of sneakerheads probably have really terrible style. Probably a very contra- controversial <laughs> statement, but sneakerheads usually dress like garbage it's like you really <laughs> have to style your thing 11s are tough i think 11s are um we're we're coming right back into him but there was like this mid-aught situation i was like ooh, everyone no one looks good in it but we we keep buying it yes yeah, facts it's facts facts yeah so man. It's, good, it's good to connect man absolutely now thank you for recording early on a saturday morning well let's kick it off right here just like for a, a bit of an official intro wall gear Thank yeah. you for joining uh, First Generation Burden. You are the Chief Experience Design Officer over at VML YNR and also VML YNR Health. And also you were named the Chief Change Creator of the Year in Adweek. Amazing success. Kudos Thank to you. you. So well-deserved. Thank you for being here today. Let's start. Th- yeah, man. Uh, let's start this conversation off the way we start every conversation. Just tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. And I would love to talk about your journey. Oh my God, who I am and where I'm from, man. I mean, you, you said where I work, but like, I am just a dude that's this, this 
trying to fucking create opportunity for others, man. I'm an individual that has gotten to a point where, you know, success is defined by, you know, how many people I can help, how many people I can reach back and pull up. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of us get to that point in our careers, man, where there's a moment that like you, 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 you kind of recalculate and rethink about what is the shit that actually matters. But, you know, that's me, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm basic, bro. I, I love kicks, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a real problem. You know, I'm, I'm out yes. here in Long Island, uh, in the country, um, doing this two hour commute three days a week to work and we're making it, we're making, we're trying to make it work. <laughs> Damn. I got to talk about that. Like a two hour commute. I know that you, you come crazy. in about two days a week, right? What was it like before the pandemic? Were you just, are you just on the train spending most of your time? Was that where you catch up on emails? What were you doing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean like, like four days a week ish, you know, uh, then, then travel, you know, so every other week or so, like I'm usually out running around climbing shit like that, you know, of course, but you, you get, you get used to it, man. Sleep on the way in, work on the way out. I <laughs> like <laughs> man. Yeah, that is the life. Uh, well, I love to talk about. No, no, I didn't say that's the life. I'm oh. just saying that's my life. Oh. <laughs> I don't know that that's the life for anybody, really. Two, uh, four hours of commute. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> it's it's all life, not the life. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, I'd love to hear about a little bit about your your upbringing. Did you grow up in Long Island, or like, what's your where are you coming from? Where are you hailing from? Whereabouts? Yeah, man. So like. Um, that's a really good question. So, so I was, um, you know, I, I kind of moved up and down the East Coast a bit. My dad was a, a, an engineer for GE and Duracell for years, man. So, like, born in Baltimore, when we, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, I was spent some time in Richmond, Virginia. Like, we were all up and down the East Coast, bro. So, um, majority like middle school, high school, I spent upstate New York in um, uh, a town called Niskayuna. Um, oh, wow. no of, a lot of people heard of Schenectady because GE had a huge plant there. Uh, but right. basically right out in the right movie. Outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that's it, man. I mean, and, and, and you know, uh, you know, went to college in, in uh, upstate New York and then transferred to a school, Monmouth University in Jersey. And then did a, did a year in Boston. See, I was I'm telling you, man, I'm all over. Did a year in yeah. Boston, then came to New York, been here for the past like, God, like 18, 19, 20 years, man. Damn. Oh, you did the whole East Coast, basically like the New England circuit. Like you, I mean, Mon yeah. Monmouth University, that's uh, Central Jersey. Yeah, I'm a Jersey guy. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep. oh wow. Were you, a lot of weekends at the Jersey Shore? Like, what's that situation like? I went to Rutgers uh, for undergrad. So it's like okay. not that far off. Okay. I got arrested on my way to Rutgers party one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, it was not. <laughs> Yeah, it was Friday night, bro. Like it wasn't some real, like no real talk. It was like I didn't. I got a my dad. I got a letter home that we my dad missed that like my license was suspended for not paying a parking ticket. Oh my god! And then we were we were we were, we were all some of us were high and we were heading that way. And yeah, I got I was driving the speed limit. I got pulled over, and they're like, "You you know your your license is suspended." So I got arrested, bro. I called my dad oh. from jail, and I was like, "Yo, dad." I'm locked up. You got to help me out. He was in the middle of a meeting and he was like, yeah, right. Hung up on me. I was like, yo, what? So I was like, I got to get another call. Called him back <laughs> and I was like, yo, dad, I'm for real. And then I took the fucking phone and I was like, on the fucking bars. I was like, yes, that's the fucking jail bars. So yes. Wow. Experience. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, what'd your mom do? My mom? Yeah. She is, um, 
she runs a company uh, called Alternative Living Group. They are essentially, they help um, people with disabilities, right? Oh, so they do after school, after school programs, housing, et cetera. One of the largest actually in New York State. Damn, that's cool. And then, and your mom's Jamaican, right? Like, is there any Jamaican. of that? She's from yeah. Jamaica. Her family's from Jamaica. My, my father and them is just, you know, North Carolina, Southern, you know, folks, whatever. Nice. Amazing. So, so when you... You graduated from Monmouth University. What was it? Did you want to enter this career? I mean, let's just jump right in. Like this. Nah, yeah. Cause you, yeah. Like, I, how did you get into this world? I know that we also intersected, not from a, we didn't overlap, but we've spent time at Viacom, CBS, now Paramount. Like what, how did you, how'd you jump in? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. I didn't graduate from Monmouth. Right. So, so real talk is, I was, you know, I was, I got a, I was getting looked at for a lot of scholarship opportunities in track when I was in high school, ninth and 10th grade and whatnot. And, you know, push came to shove. I was like, I was a lazy kid that was like, fuck it, man. I'm, I'm doing good. These colleges want me. I don't have to work on my school. Fucked up senior year. Basically they were like, uh, you know, I had a couple opportunities and then they're like, bro, you got your grades. Just go someplace for a fucking year, junior college and get them up. I went to SUNY Delhi, upstate New York, and that shit was like the black Mardi Gras six days a week. I lost my mind, bro. I was at like a upstate New York. I was like in an all white school with like me and like 10 other black kids. And then I went to a school that was like 70% black and I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> so like, I was like, I did, you know, I was all American there and shit, whatever, did well. Yeah. Then uh, after the year, I was going to transfer to another few colleges. Um, but doing track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got wow. and I got fucking you know too out of control. And I was like, I want to stay here for another year. My parents was like, What? And yeah. I was like, Yeah, I stayed there for another year, graduated. And then uh, I was looking at a couple of big schools and I got scared to be honest with you, like of the ownership and whatnot. So Mammoth was like, Yo, just come here and do your thing and we got you. And you don't have to do shit. I'm just yeah. up to the fucking meets. So uh, that's what I did, being a lazy ass. But right before, like a month before my senior year started, they pulled back on some scholarship opportunities and whatnot. I got screwed. And then I uh, had to come up with some like a, a heavy amount of money in like 30 days. And I, I couldn't do it. So I, so I got out, came home. And my dad was like, you should get into this web wow. stuff. And I was like, man, I barely have a fucking email address. So it was like talking like yeah. 99. And he got me interviewed at a company called Transworld Entertainment, which at the time was the largest music distributor in the world. Right? I mean... Obviously, you, we we know where they are right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. and uh, at the and time, yeah, basically. And so I went in there, bro, and I I interviewed for a job, and uh, for it was like a like a design role, man. And and I bullshitted. They were like, Do you know, HTML. I was like, yeah, Photoshop, yeah, Do JavaScript, you know yeah, HTML, yeah, 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 easy JavaScript, yeah, yeah, got you, got you. I had no fucking idea what what any of those acronyms were, and um, they gave me the job. And I, uh, I, I asked if I could start in three weeks instead of two. And I went to the library and studied, bro. And then I just I just started liking it. There was this white dude, um, Tom Vincent there. Yeah. This guy named Tom Vincent, who was like, he was a heavy, this guy was like heavy, like animator for, for fucking uh, Marvel and all like real shit. Yeah. And he was a designer. And this old guy just sat next to me and just like took me under his wing and just and showed me everything. He knew I was bullshitting. But he was like, come on, I got you. I got you. And he showed me everything. And that's that's how I got in the space, man. Wow. Yo, the reason I love that story is because, well, one, I I am of the same mind where high school, college, if I could go back in time, I actually would have taken it even less seriously than I did take it. Yeah. Just because of like where we are now, like I think there's so much value in finding actual passion points at important times in your life. So and, yeah. and then when you're at a formative in your formative years, 
just enjoy your life. And I was one of those guys too, where a lot of grades came easy. And then I ended up, I remember I was absent like 20 days in my senior year of high school. And then they were like, dude, you can't do that. It was like, it went from like no absences to just like, y'all just, I hate coming here. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I kind of lost my mind too. And just had to find, I, I called it spending my time in the wild, but yeah. that's, yeah, that you kind of have to like, so when you jumped into trans world and just kind of going down the, the, the LinkedIn here from you, you end up at JP Morgan Chase, New York times. Like what was, and you're there for significant amounts of time, like a year, two years, like at, at a yeah. pop, like yeah. what was that like? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm fortunate that like my mindset early on was if I go to as big a company as possible, yeah, I'll be able to have, have an easy time going wherever else I want to go. Like my next hop is going to be easier. So, yes. so if you look earlier on my career, I was I was just like, who's who's got the biggest shit? So, J.P. Morgan actually hit me up randomly, and and I'll never forget that moment, man. Like they're like, we'd like to fly you to Boston. I was like, fly me? You know, I was like 21, 22. So I was like, okay, you know, like barely ever on planes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and I'll never forget. I was sitting. I was sitting at Transrail, and I. I'm, I'm not, there was just my manager, Michelle, like if she, I doubt she'll, I mean, if she ever listens to this, I'm sorry, but like, I fucking couldn't stand her. Right. Uh, she's just so fucking mean. Right. And, uh, and so like, she sat on the other side of my cube and I'll never forget, man, I got the phone call from JP Morgan while I was at work and they called my desk phone and they were like, they're like, Hey, we'd like to give you the offer for 67. Now, mind you, I was making, I think I was making like 67 K a year. Yeah. 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 But at the time at transfer, I was making like, I think like, it might have been like like seven dollars and twenty cents. Sure, right? It was like something, whatever, right? And and so like, I mean, kids make more money than that working at McDonald's now. But yeah. like, that's what yeah. I was making. And uh, they were like, "We'd like to offer you sixty-seven. And I was like, sixty-seven dollars a day, right? Like a, a week? They're like sixty-seven thousand. Is that a problem? And I was like, hell no. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what I gotta do? They're like, just gotta accept. I was like, I accept. No negotiations, anything, man. Yeah, of so, course. My boss, like, I was like, yo, I quit, and I walked out. Right, right. And also, this is like right out of college, and this is like yeah. twenty years ago. Like sixty-seven was a lot. I ten years ago, dude, I was not making sixty-seven even like fifteen years ago. It's like a, Bro, I that, that was a big I amount. I, I thought I was rich. Right. Yeah. I thought I was like I went and I got my hair cone rolled. I started buying leather jackets. Bro, I was buying diamond fucking rings and <laughs> diamond pendants and necklaces, showing up to work looking hood as shit. I mean, people wow. were like, what the fuck is this kid on? I still have this shit. I look, I found it in my drawer the other day. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You ever watch those T Pain interviews where he talks about just like buying like three cars in a day? I'm just like, wow. I I could yeah. You can see how it happens on a certain level. I mean, obviously, you know, these are you're right out of college and you're you're making a livable wage. It's a different scale, but it's I, I imagine that a lot of people did stuff like that. Oh yeah, man. I mean, when you're young and you you run into any type of money, I mean, it's a it's easy yeah. to kind of lose control a bit, you know. Yeah, I remember when I started making um, 32k, and I was I was a uh, I was a kiosk manager at Willowbrook Mall selling XM satellite radio, uh, XM satellite radios before they were even serious XM. And uh, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm making so much money right now. I'm just gonna go bananas. And then it just became like a whole thing. And then for a year, I was just like, wait, what am I even doing? I'm still living in my parents' house and I have like nothing. <laughs> it just, oh, it yeah. just, yeah, it just felt good to, you know, be able to flex just a little bit. Yeah, that's fun uh, for uh, feel good, man. Absolutely. So. 
so I'd love to talk about like kind of fast forward just a little bit. So you're you're jumping through uh, all these major companies you're over at Seismic. You go to Google for three years. I'd love to hear. Like, did you? That was here in the East Coast. Like, what what is you're experiencing a lot of different cultures from Google to also to MTV. What are you learning along the way? Because there's a lot of development and um, and also a lot of like understanding the way different organizations work, live, breathe, function. Like what are what are some major takeaways of that time? Yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> I was I was very intentional with with where I hopped right in my opportunities right. as I said earlier. Yes, it was a focus on bigger companies, but also for me, I had a, like. In college, my my main event was pentathlon, right? Like I was I was good at a lot of different things, and it was like one of these things that carried over in terms of my mindset. Because when I went into a, like the the working field, my thing was, well, if I could learn as many different areas as possible, like yeah. they can't deny me when I'm going in for these roles, right? right? So I turned into this really kind of interesting kind of like Swiss Army knife of like. I did, I did front end design. I did, you know, a little back end stuff. I did product management. I did creative direction. I did art direction. So like I, 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 I pivoted a bunch and I worked intentionally worked at technology companies. I was like, Google, I fucking hated it there. Right. Uh, some good people, but just is not, not my jam. I'm just not the, like the dude that's going to compete with the people that I work with or give a fuck about, you know, whether you went to an Ivy league school or not. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, I, 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 I took it as an opportunity to just learn a little bit here and there. So when I was at the New York Times, I was their very first rich media hire. Like no one in the industry knew what the fuck rich media was. So like mm. I was one of the first people that created like the little peel ad, you know, the click and the whole page peeled over. Right. Oh, wow. um, like you're, you're establishing essentially the, the way we do takeovers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was on the team that invented sequential messaging. Right. And for the folks listening, don't know sequential messaging. It's like when you go to a website, you go buy a pair of shoes, you decide not to buy it, you go someplace else, Instagram or wherever, and yeah. they'll shoot, follow you everywhere. Right. So, and that was interesting because that was about like we're, it, it's always about innovations about solving problems, man. It was like, yeah, God, we're, we're now serving these flash ads. We can animate them and do all this shit and homepage takeovers. But like, how do we continue the conversation? So, we're like, what if we yeah. use a cookie? Cookie identifies people and then follow them for five page views. At the time, we called it a surround session. But then that grew into what we know as sequential messaging. So, like, you know, I went from there. Then, you know, Google gave me an understanding of, like, ad serving because I was at DoubleClick. And then I understood now, like, like everything about reporting and how these things are served and interaction rates and all that type of stuff. And then pivoting over to even places like, you know, like, 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 like Verve, and, and which was understood, yeah. me to understand, like, location-based advertising yeah. and true creative optimization. So it was really, you know, a mix of things that just learn more. But in fact... What I realized and what I tell people that I mentor is like you go on these interviews and what I learned is as I was interviewing and I say, yeah, I do all five of these things really well. It actually hurt me. Right. Because they say, well, great. Well, that's dope. You can do all these five things. We're trying to find hire someone to do this one thing. You're going to probably get bored. So let's not hire this guy. Yeah, I've gotten I gotten pinned with that one. That's a that's a gem. Yeah. yeah. Like, do, do you think well, the idea? Well, I have two questions. Uh, you, so I've read that you have six patents actually it win your name like how does that work like and also how does that is, is that those with the companies are you a secret billionaire let's talk about it <laughs> I, fucking, I live in long island i'm way the fuck out man uh, <laughs> i know long island got long island got multitudes so i don't know <laughs> it's so good so so let me so five of those patents actually sit underneath viacom Oh, right. Okay. So, 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 I worked on a team there called Digital Fusion. We we're like an internal ad agency. 
uh, that worked across all brands for any, like any deal we did was a million plus. Yeah. Now, what was interesting is my role there, when I got there after coming from Google, they were like, yo, we just want you to just, it was actually Jason Whitman. I love that guy. Um, he's chief uh, operating officer at, um, fuck, I forgot the name of the company now, Operative. But um, he he basically, my role was like, he was like, yo, just, I, we need you to come in here and just innovate, like build shit, come up with ideas that we could sell for millions of dollars. And I've never had a role like that where they were like, just go do your thing. And so you know, I had a budget of like 10 grand a month that I would actually use to pay freelancers. I was knocking out like five to six ad products a month. And out of that, I had about five winners over like a two and a half year period of time, which is why I tell people all the time, like innovation, like there's a lot of fucking up before you find winners. But what's interesting is, you know, as we started creating these units, you know, it wasn't even my idea. It was not a strat who's now head of North America sales for Facebook. She was the EVP of digital ad sales at, at, at Viacom. She was like, yo, we should, we should patent these, her and Jason, we should patent these because if we can patent these ideas, right. then we can go to market and say, we're the only ones with it and then right. pressure other folks. So, you know, right. first to market also owning it. Yeah. All that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it was really interesting approach, man, because, um, you know, skippable pre-roll, like that's one that's one of my patents, bro. And what's really crazy, yeah. And what's really crazy is fucking Viacom still owns that shit. And most that's of the leadership crazy. that I was with, yeah, most of the leadership that I was with is out. That motherfuckers could go and sue Google. Now they don't have Google money, but they right. could for sure fucking attempt. And that's real yeah. talk. You know, so that's amazing. Yeah. What what platform would skippable pre-roll happen on if it wasn't on YouTube? But was it just like through the um through takeovers, like, w w would it be that that type of mechanism? Yeah. So the idea, no. I mean, it, it started with video, right? So it started right. with video. We were working with this third-party, you know, video platform um, to help us out. And the idea was simple. So first, a couple. Of, so you're aware. So the bug unit. Yeah. That was one of those five patents. Lower third unit. That was one of those five patents, right? Really? So, yeah. Okay. So. so um, it sounds like you set up well the system that was called Oasis. There's an Oasis system, the messaging system, that it, like, this is like super yeah. inside baseball for those listening. But it's fascinating. There's a, a secondary layer on top of the um, the essentially the video that you're seeing on your TV. Um, like there's the layer there's the layer of baked in of the actual content, and then there's a secondary layer that's proprietary to Paramount's um, holistic channel ecosystem that is the messaging system that that you're talking about that's so anyone for our listeners what Walt's saying is that they're the second layer of messaging that occurs on top of the content is the layer that his patents are a part of yeah yep absolutely so I'll tell you skippable pre-roll for the again for the folks that are listening is a five four three two one skip right when you see pre-roll or any type of ad before the content you're looking for so the first iteration of that I actually called port a pass Right. And and that is actually the name within the patent as well. But but the idea is that we did it for uh, I believe it was Pepsi. Yes, it was Pepsi. So the first iteration, the idea was this. Right. We thought we, we were doing a, a bunch of we created a usability, like a million dollar usability lab. And we were testing and understanding like pupil dilation, arousal, like like heart rate, like all that information was allowing us to understand things that people like based off color, call to action, speed of animation, the whole nine yards. So um we through this usability testing, we were learning that like, okay, 30 second pre-rolls is fucking bullshit. People were looking away and doing other things. And we actually ended up finding that the five second pre-roll um, with the follow-up lower third was the most impactful unit. So 
as we were thinking about this, I was like, well, fuck, man. Like, I still like, I still don't like sitting through five seconds. That's fucking annoying. That's just wasting right. my time when I'm trying to get to my content. What if I skip? What if we could skip it? And everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. Like, no brand is gonna pay for or allow you to skip their fucking content. Right. But you still, that's like, an well, engagement. That's still yeah. engagement. And, you, and the five seconds becomes another unit in and of itself. Well, there you go. There you yeah. go. So that's exactly where I was headed. So what I did was, wow. I I played a thirty second a thirty second spot for Pepsi, and then the lower left hand corner we actually put in a bug unit. It was a bottle, and across the bottle it said "Pour to Pass." So when you actually took your mouse and you scrolled over the bottle, it turned the bottle upside down and started pouring Pepsi in the video player. That animation to fill up the video player was five seconds long. So when that was done. It automatically jumped you right into your content that you wanted to say, and then you got a little bug unit in it set, a little voiceover that said, that skip was powered by Pepsi. Wow. Amazing. So that was the, first, the first interaction, the first one was making this interact to your point, making an interactive unit so you had to engage with it. So that skip was like a thank you, you know, for, for fucking with right. it from the brand. Yeah, Probably, yeah. It was, there was a reward component to it. Absolutely. The problem is when we went to the IAB to standardize that, they were like, no, this is too much work. Like, because now, like, to do every single one of these things at scale requires someone to do some type of interactive, you know, animation or whatnot to it. Now everyone has to do it. Now everyone has to do it. Google Jack that shit. Yeah, wow. Like, literally, that's in everyone's scope of work now. It's like, you just have to, like, you need all the little things. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, people build creative around the skippable pre right? Because now it's like, how do you engage someone within the first five seconds so that they continue and don't skip it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know if you've sat through um, one of those Google unskippable ads um, classes, essentially, <laughs> since you're like one of the architects of it. But every, but yeah, all those principles now for the listener are essentially utilized today in 2022. Yep. Yep. But, yep. So like when, so as you're going through this journey and you're, you know, you're, you're sitting at like all these different tables and also all these different rooms, like, like what, what what's informing your your pivot up something you said earlier about being the swiss army knife and also kind of sounds like you're amazing at learning on the job which i think all the greats are like what do you have a philosophy towards um informing the next jump and also how you want like what are your what's your criteria for that next challenge yeah i think earlier on it was for me about um chasing innovation right yeah. and kind of like seeing seeing where the ball was going um and then it kind of turned well actually let's go back but before in the beginning it was as big a company as possible and then it naturally progressed into like okay who's actually innovating and who's doing stuff that's really pushing the needle and then what ended up happening is okay now when i when i got to a point where i'm far ahead and inventive and creating all this shit right i realized well i can't actually do all the cool shit that i want it's it's cool to make the technology and all that. But the problem is when you're making the technology, if you're a pro technology provider or if you're a publisher, right, you're the last person to touch a creative, right? So when the brand is coming up with an idea, the brand is partnering with the creative agency, right? And then they come up with an idea, and then they go to the media agency. And then after they go to the media agency, they might tap into the tech company. And then, right. then they have to, so like you're at the bottom of the list. So then it, for me, it became, right. well, fuck, like I, I want some ownership. Like I want to fucking right. come up with beginning that. of the stream. Right, exactly. And that's why I ended up, you know, pivoting to an ad agency now. So it's like, you know, I was always, again, like chasing the innovation, but then learned by chasing the innovation that, all right, that's cool, but you can't make as much impact unless you're at the brand or you're at a spot where you can influence, you right. know, the, the brand from the jump. Right. No, yeah, I think about that so much. It's like the, 
understanding the way the stream works, I think is paramount to like a like macro success and also kind of like jumping up those ladders. But unless you're in a space of influence and like every part of the stream has its own sphere of influence, unless you're in one of those, it's hard to make any sort of impact because like when you're right at the end of deployment, you're, it can be easy to become a pair of hands and then you, it's, it's, you don't feel ownership creatively or anything. Yeah. I mean, look, real talk is like, there are very, very few tech companies that can build tech and then influence the brand. Facebook's, Google's, right? Like, like, like places like that, but like the rest are few far in between, man. You know, and this yeah. is why we have such a fucking problem in the industry when, when it comes to like innovation, doing cool shit is like, there's no coming together of minds, right? Like agencies want to fucking do shit on their own. They, yeah. We split up media agencies, some media agencies want to do shit on their own. Tech companies, like I tell people all the time, like tech companies come to me, come talk to me, tell me what you got, show me what you got. Let's partner together to create shit. But like, like we don't, people, you know, we live in these fucking bubbles and hoard our fucking ideas and try to get them over to the brand. So it's like yeah. that, that indeed, you know, hurts us. Who do you think has more? Who do you think has more power now? Because I think before, agencies held a, a a big bat when it came to being a connector of culture. I think brands have now like cr- uh, brought in teams on their side, so there's a bit of like a the match to match the one for one on the agency side and brand side. And I just recently went back agency side, so now I'm feeling that that not redundancy, but that kind of like, hey, you have a level, we're going to put our person at that level to go head to head to head at every single point. Like, who has more power now? Is it tech, agencies, brands on that big macro scale? That's a really good question, man. I would actually say the brand, right? Like the the brand has has the most impact, the most influence. I mean, in, in so many, so many ways, right? So I, you know, brands you see now are starting to build their own internal agencies, but I still right. don't think that they can do work on the same scale level as a lot of these creative agencies out here, right? Agree. Have the top talent in the world, right? Top thinkers in the world. Um, but, but you know, again, to my earlier point too, it's like, I, you know, tech companies have the ability as well, right? When when Google's saying like, hey, we're getting rid of cookies and all this shit, like, okay, everyone else fall in li- falls in line now, right? Because they own such a large, you know, you know, space or ecosystem, you know, it's like people have to fall in line. But again, brands, man, because it's like, you know, it is, you know, how they dictate the work, right? Who are they pulling in? Like you see brands now happen in and out of fucking agencies left and right now, right? Trying to get the best deals, et cetera. Um, it's brands like influencing things like diversity, man, DEI right. and inclusivity, like at, within all these places. So brands hold all the power. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to talk about DNI. You talk a lot about getting a seat at the table. I know, so I saw a dope interview, and you talk about it a lot about playing linebacker and making opportunities. Yeah, like, yeah. W- was that something that was always in your headspace, or was that something that you that became a part of your DNA by virtue of the journey? I think the latter, man. By by the journey, I think I I realized it when I got I got laid off from a job. And then I had some time off and then I decided to take like a year to basically like be with my family and be present. But it's funny because like in the first few months, you know, I was like scrambling to find a new fucking job. And I'll never forget like being in my office and my wife came in and she was like, it's okay to, to be here. And I was like, like what, what do you mean by that? She's like, it's okay to be present. And it made me re- rethink like 
what is really important, right? Because the jobs will come and fucking go, right? But like, we're so hard up on like the next opportunity and advertising will have you believing like it's about your fucking title, your fucking rolly on your wrist, the car you drive and where you live. And it's not, right? Advertising has the power to change lives. It has the power to change the world and change culture. I won't say change or create culture, but most certainly shift culture. Yeah. So for me, I think it was a moment where during that moment, feeling like, fuck, man, I wish I had someone I could talk to. Uh, that looked like me and I didn't have anyone. I didn't have, I've never in my entire career had a mentor until like literally this fucking pandemic, like two and a half years ago. So it made me that moment. I was like, well, shit, like I don't, I'm not like, I'm a, at the time I was a VPCD. I was like, I'm not doing anything for anyone else. And I'm fucking looking for that same help. So right. I decided like, what can I do to actually help other people, man? And I started mentoring and teaching at, you know, not teaching, but speaking at high schools and colleges and whatnot. And, um, they were primarily for people of color. And then, uh, you know, I just, I just, I just did a tweet one or a post on LinkedIn one time when I was like frustrated with like all the 40 over 40 under 40s and 30 under 30. I awards. saw that. I was like, yo, yeah. I love that Walt is just going for this because it's true. It's <laughs> yeah. so true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I went after that. This shit apparently broke the internet, man. It went crazy viral and Forbes wrote about it and shit. And it made that, that was the moment where I was like, fuck, like I had no idea the power of a post. Yeah. Right. The power of a post. And like I was I was not even kidding that post because of that post, I was getting like 20 to 30 people a day for like a month or hitting me up like, yo, that post meant so much. And then tell me the stories like, yeah, I used to be a developer da, da, da. and because of ageism now, like I'm fucking I'm, you know, working at a Starbucks and I can't find a job. Wow. And so and then that moment, I was like, well, fuck, there's so much power in this. Like. I should I should start talking about my personal experience and then like create opportunity for all people of color, specifically creatives of color. And so then I that's when I kind of started doing the hard pivot. And yeah, that was that. Damn. Yeah. Something that I think is the idea of well, one generosity and also being able to give that back. I think that's probably a part of growth and age. That's something that didn't even come into my world until maybe my late 30s. Yeah. But um yeah, the, the power of the post. I mean, your, your activity on LinkedIn, I want to ask you about being a personality. Like, how important is that, do you think, to being effective, especially at the role and the scale that you personally have to operate at? Because, you know, even this podcast is a part of, a, there's a personality component to this and being very forward in that way. Um, and I think you do it really well. So how, what is, what level of stake and support do you feel it takes to do that? And do you think that it makes you better at your job role or is this more like something that you have to do in order to have that role? No, it's a good question, man. I, you know, upon coming here to VML YNR, I mean, I, I spoke to John Cook and a bunch of folks here and, you know, my whole thing was, I, you know, you guys, please like check my social media because like this, this doesn't change because for me, it's, it's important. Right. And it's important because I think we need to have people like myself, people like yourself, people who are, showing the work but also showing that like we can we can thrive in these fucking positions in these roles and in these spaces right the more of us need to be here so you know they understood the importance of my message and what i was doing and they were like yeah absolutely we stand behind you so you know you look around tell me how many svps evps or c-suites you see saying the shit that i say on social yeah not many yeah. right because right. they don't work at places that would support that because i'm sure there there are plenty of people at other agencies that look at me like yo wall's fucking dope i, I love that shit but all in the same breath would be like but i wouldn't hire him over here right because some people don't right. want that spotlight you know right. what i mean so i work at a place most certainly that is that cares but i think that the you know more importantly it's like when i say these things 
right? My folks are actually listening and they reach out and we talk about it. But like this messaging also reaches and touches, which is why I love LinkedIn. It, it reaches an audience of executives and white executives that that are able to learn, right? So yeah. what I'm about is I create posts where I, I lead the, the horse to the water, so to speak, right? And I create community in my threads. But that community between people of color and people like us uh, then allows in that that it's weird because like people get so comfortable in my threads with the things that they say yeah. and so bold and out front and transparent. And that visibility now allows other white executives to actually sit back and read these threads and learn from them and be educated from them. Right. So, you know, I did a post like oh, two weeks ago that was about like, yo, like about like there's a problem with, you know, people of color. We're getting in these rooms. And we're talking about diversity and we're talking to fuck. It's like an echo chamber. We're talking to ourselves and like no white leaders are actually showing up to these events. What the fuck sense does that make? Right literally an hour from that post, you know, I'm on a call with, with my CMO, you know, Beth Wade, who's like, all right, so how do we, how do we, how do we do better? Like, what can we do to, what can we do to support? And I was like, it's easy. Not saying we need to be on panels or all this type of shit, DEI panels, but like, it means a lot when we actually show up in these rooms. And she was like, absolutely. Literally next day I'm, I'm walking down the hall. I see, you know, our New York president, uh, Beth Ann. And she was like, well, well, just got off the phone with Beth Wade, uh, talking about different events and DI events. Like, I'm in. So, like, let's let let me know what do I need to be. These things can make change internally as well as externally. So, does that take a lot of energy being that conduit for the comments? I I imagine that that's that that can be draining sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, you know, I. It's, it's a question a lot of people ask, right? They're like, oh, we see you on social media. Guys, how do you, how are you doing so much? People don't realize, like, I don't, there are social media influencers, and by the way, I don't call myself a social media influencer, but there, there are people that legit, like, plan posts every day, every other day, whatever. I don't plan shit. Like, every time I do a post, which is not often, it might be, like, once a week, if that, it is so much of, like, just being in the moment and how I feel, and I just write it and post, and done. Right. I... You know, commenting and replying can get fucking tiresome. It's just like so many. So, I mean, truth be yeah. said, what the I, replying what I, is I, tough. Yeah, yeah. But like the replying also helps boost your shit, right? So, like, right. what I do the LinkedIn is algorithm I, is pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I do is I, re, I reply with emojis. So, if you ever notice that, like, unless someone says some real, real shit, yeah, yep. so it's just like a little like prayer hands. It's like a thank you or like, of a, course, a finger pointing up is like, yes to this. So I keep it quick, man. I keep it quick unless it's like, <laughs> you know, some real shit. But I will say the one thing that's crazy, though, is like the fucking the, the, the people that slide in my DMs are like with with crazy shit. Like, right. The, the hate part is 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 taking a while oh my God. to get, get used to. Yeah. You know? Can you talk a little bit about that? But also the the idea that white c-suite doesn't have to do the same thing of course yeah. yeah yeah which is what sounds which is always the the thing that i have a bit of resentment towards but yeah yeah it's different man it's different it's it's we we are constantly fighting you know you know for for every inch of, of that we fucking get right like it's, it's a lot it's uphill battle um and can oftentimes feel like we're roller skating uphill right but um so so here's the thing man i've the most common shit is will be like, oh, you know, like you're because of you, you're, you know, what, like, I don't, I can't get a fucking job because people like yourself out here talking for black and brown people and this and that. I've had, you know, people, you know, email my fucking C-suite global, like put like 20 fucking people on an email and, and send shit like subject line and say like, Walter Gear is a racist, doesn't hire white people, like crazy, crazy shit, man. It's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. Can you? 
you talk a lot about tough conversations. Yep. Can do you remember what your first tough conversation was? Um, I think I think the first one the first one was Gary V, actually, Gary Vanerjack. Yeah, uh, which was like go, going after the shark, man. Like, yeah. It's like the, the minnow going after the shark. This is like, <laughs> yeah, so, um, talk about Rose getting uphill. I actually wanted to talk about that. <clears throat> yeah, so, so, so um, I had done an interview with him and, and Laura Maynaz and John Cook um, uh, in the, in like right in the very beginning of the pandemic. And on that, he had made a promise. He's like, oh yeah, and then, you know, within the next three months, I'm going to hire, I'm going to have, you know, Two, one, one black C-suite, you know, on, on my team, I'm going to hire. Right. And so I was like, all right, cool. And so that time came and went. And so I went back and got the video and I cut that clip and I posted it on social media and tagged him. I said, Gary, just, just curious, did this happen? And happy to help you if it didn't happen. Uh, just wanted to follow up. Derek Walker actually took that post of mine and then reshared it on Twitter, which Gary's, I guess he's pretty, you know, he's on Twitter quite a bit. Yeah. He shared it. Gary actually replied to him and then sent me a, sent me a video DM where it was like, Hey, well, check it out. Yeah. I'm doing the work da, da, da. you know, happy to talk about it. You know? And I said, well, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it too, but I'd rather not do it in the DMs. Let's just do it live in front of everybody. And he was like, I'm down. And I was like, Oh shit. So we, we got, we went live and dude, it was like something like 30,000 people, some shit like that were on live. It was crazy. And, uh, and I, I, I drilled and I wasn't a dick and I never try to be a dick when I have these conversations because it's, yeah. my intent is not to try to embarrass people, but it's like, so to have a real conversation. Yeah. And so I, I asked him about it's that. It's a public like, figure. Yes. It's like yeah, with, yeah. with accountability. Totally, totally. And so I asked him about it and he said, he said, we're still working on it. And then he went and said, oh, and by this date, I'm going to have three. And so like, I'm sure his comms team was like, Gary, what the fuck? <laughs> He's like, you keep making these fucking promises. Yeah, but he, this uh, dude, but he came, just escalator. Yeah, yeah. But but he uh, he came through and he did it. And, wow. I, and I met and I met one of these brothers in, when I was in Cannes and you know, really dope, dope guy. And we, we were talking, He's like, hey, my name's so-and-so cool. We were talking. He's like, yo, you know, it's you know, because of you and that shit that you did, like I got this role. Right. So, so it was, it was a dope kind of like full circle, but yeah, I did that with, you know, a few people and I, you know, him and I did it with my own CEO, you know, and, and uh, Mark Pritchard, who's like, as you probably know, one of the most powerful men in all of fucking advertising in the world. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an ongoing thing, man. I don't, it's not like a, everyone's like, someone's the next one. Like, I don't fucking know. It's like when I'm in a moment and I feel like the conversation is right to be had with the right person and, I make the attempt, but I've only gotten turned down twice. Okay. To do them, one, uh, one was uh, Tiffany Warren from Ad Color, because that 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 blew up and into a thing, and the press wrote about and shit. Because I was, I just want to have a conversation with her about like, hey, like your Ad Color is like one of the largest black communities, conferences, award shows in the U.S. Please explain to me why. You guys talk about like working with the, within the black community and the power of work going to black businesses and you just throw an all white ad agency as your right. agency of record, right? And it was going to be a real conversation. And they went with Droga, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which Droga's fucking dope. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Right. Right. I mean, but it would have been a good conversation just have like, okay, like, would love your opinion. Like, we all know Droga's fucking dope. It could be shit that we didn't know about, but that, you know, and then that didn't happen. And then, uh, and then the other one is Ryan Reynolds. 
And that was a, a very long, ongoing back and forth for like two, three months uh, with his, his team. And it was. Oh, like, I didn't even know that there like, was a back and forth. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was like a um, we don't know. He's busy to like, yes, you want to have this conversation to like, hold on. We're going to talk about it to like, a, wow. no, he's not ready right now because he's doing some other stuff. Uh, that's equally important. What and if then, you had a Mint Mobile ad that ran right in front of the <laughs> of the conversation? <laughs> right, I'm sure. Right. Uh, so so uh, so I mean, it it it, it didn't. Have, and now it's like, uh, yeah, he'd love to you at some, to do it at some point, but it's you know, it's whatever. I think it's he's he's the type of person that he's has so much influence. And again, these are like I talk to people that have influence, and I yeah. talk these conversations you know in public and transparent because. Yeah. And I'm transcribing, excuse me, because um, I think people could learn about open conversations and open dialogue that it's actually okay to ask questions of these leaders and then have those leaders even tell you, hey, guess what? I didn't fucking get it right yet. But let me tell you how I'm getting it right. Let me tell you how I'm fixing it because we all know this DEI shit is like the easy part has been done already. Yeah. Right? Like, like the, the hard part is actually like getting into the weeds yes. and not really executing on it. And, it is, and we all know it's not going to be like fixed in a month or two. Right. You know, so 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 okay to, to say that and have these conversations. Uh what, tell us about your 13% rule when it comes yeah, to hiring. So yeah, this is so <clears throat> this is something I've been doing for a minute now. Um, and at first I think people because I love this rule. Really crazy. Yeah. So anytime I'm asked to be on an award show, anytime I'm asked to speak on a panel, speak at an event, I basically say, All right, that's cool, happy to do it. But my first question is like I need 13% of the rest of the people involved with this event to also be black. Right. And I do that because black people, we make up 13% of the US population, right? So it's only fair to have the same exact numbers that we have in the population at these events. I've I've gotten a no only one time at a pretty big event because they were like, we just can't find them. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. And we I'm, just I'm, can't I'm, find them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So, so, so usually when I ask for 13% role, then what I do is I have a list, I have an Excel doc of like 30 people on it, right? From like mid level to senior level. So I'm like, and here's 30 people you can pick from. Right. And so this 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 company was like, yo, we just can't we can't find it. we can't. Find it. I was like, dude, like I, I, I'm telling you, like, I'm not I'm not going to show up and keynote this event unless you make this happen. So they said, all right, all right, we'll work on it. We'll make it happen. So I was keynoting the event on, the event on a Monday morning at like fucking 830 Sunday night. They hit Sunday night. They hit me up. They were like, we got it to 11 and a half. I was like, not good enough. And I pulled out. Wow. So so. And that is, and that is like, and now that's something that like uh, sticking to the guns. My, yeah, you have to, right? Yeah, you have but to. Like that's a lot of that's a lot of even like my white friends are doing that now. So they're getting up. They're like, no, thirteen percent, right? So I think we should do that for fucking like all ethnicities. Like you should match the fucking U.S. population. If you can't match yeah. the U.S. population in terms of what your your that yeah that your panel looks like and whatnot, then like I don't want to be involved, man. I love that. No, yeah, that's gonna be. I'm gonna start doing that. I've tr I've tried to do it on certain things, and also you know. When I was um, working with, when I am with uh, the one club on Colorful, uh, like it, in, which is an award show um, that's meant to essentially bring communities of color into elite awards programs by, and also by being judged by a group of their peers, like that those judging panels were just are such hot topic conversations. Like, what, who are these people that we're saying are elite, great at what they do, but also represent? Um, communities of color in um, in a in an actual true percentage way. It's 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 tough, but it's the work that I think has to be done. Absolutely, man. That's yeah, important. absolutely. So I know you don't have that much time. I know you got to be a dad. You, you got like many many jobs. You wear many many hats. 
So uh, I do want to ask about um, um, what what do you think is brand experience? How would you define brand experience? And I know this is more of like a broader level thing because like when I talk to a lot of people about it and I want to talk to a lot of agencies about it, it's it's a very vague definition that's often defined by the things that it isn't and by the things that the agencies can't do. So how would you, from from your seat, define brand experience? Brand experience, it's funny. I'm going to actually tell you I'm gonna I'm gonna to touch on that, but I'm gonna tell you what I believe CX is. Oh, I think go that's, for it. That's actually because I think that's actually a little more important. So, brand, br- like, I don't think. Not, let me actually back up a little further. I don't think an experience happens unless you have BX and CX together, right? So, so for me, like brand, like a brand experience is 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 to me is a little more about the tone and the identity. And how and in 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 the in, in in like the positioning right of, of of how a brand looks right, but the CX like CX portion right consumer experience customer experience right. that's about now okay, imagining what's next right and when I say imagining what's next it is like the brand is the experience right so it's like every time I see your brand I should now rethink. A couple things. Number one, the vehicle that I'm that I'm delivering my message to you with, I should understand who you are a little a little better, right? And then I should be able to deliver you something that's in real time, um, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Relevant, right? And so right. so I look at it as saying like, okay, so like, you know, it is about the first time I see you, you are a guest in my house. Right. And when you're a guest in my house, we all treat first time guests in our house in a very specific way. We're very overly kind. What can I get for you? Do you need something to drink? Here's where you can get this. And we're very much so like giving everything that this individual needs and making them feel comfortable. The next time I see you now, it's about, okay, you're no longer my guest. You've been to my house before. Right. So now you're considered family. Right. So if you're family, you come into my house and you feel welcome now. You've been here before and you know where to go to get the shit that you want. You don't have to ask me to go in for my fridge to get a drink. You go get it on your own, right? But then the next time I see you now, you're beyond family. Like now you're my advocate, right? So you now, you love me so much. We are so tight that you're now telling your boys and your girls and your family, yo, check this shit out. You should come over here. This is really fucking dope. It's an incredible place to be. So like, to me, that whole experience now, beyond just BX, is like, it's like, how do you engage and think about what's next? Right. And right. that's and that's and that's really because in my role with XD, that's really kind of what my focus is like imagining next. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I think when sometimes there's a cold vernacular that's often employed to some of this stuff when it comes to like loyalty and and like you know, incentivization and rewards. But I love the idea of like guest to family. Than to advocate where you're just like you're you want to be your a hero for the brand in your own way it's like incorporated into your life no it's a convergence of brand and consumer absolutely that's yeah, wonderful absolutely yeah yeah it's we yeah. don't we don't often we don't often think about that which is which we is don't difficult because i think as, a, as, as most agencies it's like dude let's do something fucking dope for the super bowl let's do this dope commercial but it's right. like and then it stops so many different yeah yeah, we have so many different vehicles and ways to actually reach people, and, and they're often not thought of, or they often get handed off to the media. Then it turns into like some seven twenty by ninety or three hundred by two fifty. Yeah, like we need to we need to understand that. Like, and two, I'm gonna ramble a bit, but like, 
technology is running at such a rapid pace, man. Yeah. That it's like the, how we engage is going to change like this. Like, it's like how we engage today is a lot of like swiping and touching, right? A little bit of voice for those of us who have, you know, Alexa and, and Google, you know, at, at our houses. But, you know, 10 years from now, man, it's going to be all about how we have a conversation with a brand speaking and seeing things, right? I think that the, 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 AR is the fucking future, not VR. While VR is cool, it's not the fucking, it's like the, the probably like a short term thing that's cool for games and from, you know, taking me to different places. But like re, in reality, AR is everything, dude. Right. Yeah. It's going to be like when I walk into my, and like, and really learning how we actually as a whole can kind of bring all platforms and technologies together. Cause like when I walk in my house, I have like 11 Alexa devices in my house and I'll say like, you know, Alexa, turn on kitchen. Right. And like, what it's not doing is saying, um, turning on the kitchen and then saying, um, you, one of your light bulbs is out. And then all of a sudden you go like the whole DSP play. Um, there's a sale right now for Philips Hue light bulbs for $5.99. Would you like <laughs> to purchase? Yes. Boom. And it shows up at your house two hours later. Right. Or then, or then like, fuck, now I got a fucking uh, leak under my sink. Put on my fucking glasses. I go into the sink. Yeah. And I point and say, what is this? That is a U whatever fucking faucet thing right um would uh i'd like to replace okay there's a sale right this now at, at home depot for 9.99 would you want me to purchase yes boom it gets to my house the next day or same day and now i take this and i point to it and say how do i fix this and it's very like youtube-esque right yeah Except, like showing right. you layering it on okay unscrew this boom took this here boom but so like it is going to be entirely about how we, we we communicate back with back and forth with brands. But like all these platforms need to figure out ways to actually plug and play to each other. Yeah, no, that's true. There's such a, a strong disconnect between all the platforms where you, you aren't really even uh, it's not helping you improve your life in that seamless way, in the way that I think that the future vision could be. What do you think is the role of AI in machine learning? Everything, man, everything. Yeah. But I think what's more important is the people that are actually working behind it because like yes. AI has bias because people have bias, right? So when we get to a point of being able to hire the right teams of individuals to work on these platforms, I think it all it all changes. You know, we, you know, like we are in a, a I think a, a little bit of a scary place. I'm going to go like all fully known like Terminator style and shit. But like when you see, and I'm going to just say it, like fucked up people like Elon Musk who like and what he's doing to the world and like, I have a fucking Tesla. I fucking love it. Like it makes me question having it since some of the shit that he's doing now with Twitter and whatnot. But like when you see this guy show this guy knowing who he is now. Right. And like, especially right. these last few days and then talk about transparency. Guy, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. And then almost you, too then transparent. I'm like a part of me just wants a barrier. It's like, dude, I don't need to see all this shit. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. But then when you see him walk out on stage with a fucking robot, it's like, fuck man. I know. Like, that shit is, this, this is like beginning Terminator shit. Like I'm real, <laughs> because like people don't like AI is fucking brilliant, man. AI, yeah. you know, it learns on its own. It, it, it ingests and then, you know, you know, and, and, and learns then, you know, it's, it's crazy. But I think that we, we should be most certainly care. I'm not saying it's going to, robots going to take over the world, but I think we should right. be careful about what we're doing with AI and how we use it and who's actually creating it. Yeah. No, 100%. It's like, Sometimes I think about the the positive uses of AI, especially when it comes to the way the brands talk to us and also when it comes to um, AI created imagery and like another way for brands to talk to us that isn't, oh, yeah. that engages another sensorial um, world, but it's the Boston Dynamics robotics part of the AI conversation that gets me like, 
yo, should I start, uh, should I start carrying right now? Is this the world that we're, <laughs> that we're living in? It's insane. Um, well, Hey, I got a couple of quick questions oh, for you. Um, I know that you have a couple of minutes left. So favorite campaign. Oh man. I always say be, uh, the, uh, beats, uh, beats by Dre, the, um, Oh God, what is it? Um, you say you love me. That shit was fucking powerful. I mean, it was like, I've never, I think it was for a brand. I always talk about it, man. For a brand uh, to be that raw and open in a moment in the, you know, after Floyd died and whatnot, in a moment that like, where so many brands were like hushing up and so many brands were like, well, fuck, like, do we say something? Do we not say something? Do we post a black square? That was the most bold work that I've probably ever seen in my entire fucking career. And like, that is the one piece of work that I've felt the most jealous about. Like that was the one work where I was like, fuck, I wish I could have done that. Wow. Favorite tech innovation of the past 10 years? Um, I uh, Favorite tech innovation, I think AR. And we were just talking about that, right? And I think that, you know, the beauty of AR is being able to actually execute that on the mobile device. And I think that that again is is gonna change the world for, for what we know and how we know it and how we interact with brands. You know, ARs is not unlike VRs, accessible to anyone with a mobile device, and you could execute it through mobile web. And I think that that's extremely powerful. I mean, we saw Pokemon, right? And people went right. fucking nuts over that. So it's like yeah. we start to create people walking over cliffs, dude. Cr- real shit, <laughs> real shit. Yeah. So people so die to get to catch them all. <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> it's crazy stuff. But AR for sure. Word. Um, favorite brand that you've worked on. Uh, favorite brand that I've worked on. That's a really tough one. Uh, I've worked on a lot of dope shit, but I think Pfizer, man, to be honest with you, right? Because I think Pfizer, because how many brands could say that they saved the fucking world, right? And how many people could say that they helped save the world. And I think that what we're doing is, you know, with launching the vaccine and whatnot was just like, probably something I'll never forget. Wow. Top three favorite singers. Oh shit, man. That's a tough one. Singers, <laughs> I, I mean, can we go to like musicians as a whole? Can we no, go? So, oh, so I was ooh, actually, was I singing. said sne- I said sneakers, but let's Oh, let's I thought go. you said oh, no, I thought you said singers. I'm sorry, I totally I oh. totally misheard you. Well, I did have a music All question. Right. We'll just pivot there. It's like top three favorite what? um music acts right now, because I know you're a music guy. Um, I think okay, so for live performance, for yes. live performances, the best I'll say I'll pivot to the live performances I've ever seen. Um Prince was fucking Oh, crazy. damn. That's one. I've never seen Prince. That's one I would love to resurrect to watch. He was crazy live. It was the one I was saw him at the show where Madison Square Gardens where he stayed on stage for like an extra hour. And that was that was the concert where uh, fucking Kim Kardashian tried to get on get up on stage and dance. He was like, bitch, get off stage. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, dude, Post Malone is fucking crazy live. Really? A huge... Yo, I was not even a huge fan of Post Malone until my wife, she loves him. She's oh, let's go to this concert. I was like, fine. I was like, I had my arms folded and shit in his hands like this, you know? And his performance, bro, like, in like he's like a fucking rock star on stage. Like, no lie. Wow. No lie. And and I, phenomenal fucking voice, man. Uh, huh. Insane. And then, uh, and then I say the last one was Maxwell. Wow. Because I've never, I've never in my life been to a live concert and had to question whether someone was just playing the CD or not, because his voice was like fucking like 
impeccable. And it, it was like it was like when he was hitting those notes, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Because Damn. like I've seen like there's like I love music soul child, bro, but straight studio singer. Oh, I, I could live, see that live, and I was like, "Bro, like that shit mm. <laughs> wasn't 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 it?" I was like, "I could get up and do this shit." <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Damn, music soul child was like the soundtrack to my college years. That's oh, crazy. Bro, that was that shit. That album was yeah, Maxwell man. too. But yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. I, I could see the studio thing fall off because I could I would get tickets to Maxwell today, but I could see the disconnect between the uh, the the album buying audience and also the live audience for Soul Child being a contributor to like him not being so big right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. But sneakers though, you said some favorite. Sneakers. Yeah, top three favorite sneakers. All right. Um, I'll say I'll say my mine the ones that I own. Uh, Jordan Band ones right oh yeah like that's that those are those are classics man um the um uh probably my uh you're you're a real jordan one guy i have a lot of jordan ones do you know what it is it's like the, the it's a sneaker that just fits me right so yeah. i just i just go with what i know you know totally uh, and i'm a short guy i don't know how tall you are but i'm like five six so my i have low ankles so jordan ones i have to like sometimes tape my ankles up because it'll just hit my achilles <laughs> in a weird way but i'm just like i have to it's, it's sometimes gotta... mids mids man Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not hating on mids i got some mids uh, i i love mids too they actually they fit me better but it's the the internet tells me otherwise it's hard yeah <laughs> Uh, let's see. My second one, I think, is uh, but Travis Scott ones. Man, oh yeah, yeah. the the, the fragments. The oh, mochas. I have I have the fragments, but the mocha was on. And uh, and oh, the highs, the one with the with that Velcro strap that makes yeah. it so stiff. That part is yeah, that part is a little tricky. You have to wear the right sock for that. You you do have to wear the right sock. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're like really trying to stash your shit, I'm like, who's really trying to open up that Velcro bag? <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, and then I'm just man, I'm just going with all ones here, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, my um, my uh, Chicago's ones, the uh, Virgils. Oh yeah, love that. Yeah. That's a good one to end on. Damn, yo, Walt, I wish we could go longer. This has been a great conversation, man. We this we need fun. to. I appreciate you. This has been so much fun. Um, we got to grab a beer, IRL very soon yes 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 i'm down man let's make it work awesome tuesdays and thursdays man dope let's do it uh well tell the tell the listeners where they can find you yeah i mean uh at third gears uh pretty much anywhere man twitter twitter uh linkedin uh instagram at three r d g e e r s appreciate you man we need to do this and reverse the roles man Yo, let's like, wanna, like you like you like you know doing cars and shit. You fucking <laughs> magazines and shit. I'm like, damn, bro, can I live? Yo, let's, <laughs> yo, you know you know where to find me. I'm down, man. Let's, I let's this has been mad fun. Whatever you want, yeah, I'm down. Indeed, let's do it. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you too, brother. All right, awesome. So thanks to Walt Gear for showing up uh, for this conversation today. That was so much fun. Uh, you can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps the algorithm. Go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes. On Instagram, we're at firstgenburden. And you can find me, your host, at rich underscore tu on most social media platforms. Thanks to Timothy Simonson for production. Shout out to Gym Class Heroes. Thanks to the Desgen team for their support. Thanks to Eugenia Mello, um, a friend of the podcast, also a former guest of the podcast. If you haven't noticed, our cover art for uh, the show has changed. 
and that's her work. So that was inspired by a conversation, a live episode that we did a couple of years ago with Kelly Shami, Zapong Zhu, Eugenia, of course. So uh, thanks to her for letting us use that work. And I'm so stoked. Looks so good. Thanks to you, the listener. We drop new episodes on Mondays, season eight. We're out here doing it. New episode next week. Be safe, everyone. Bye.